the blood of Jesus. You know, the book of Revelation chapter number 12 says that they overcame the dragon. That would be Satan, the devil. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony and that they love not their lives even unto the death. That is how we have daily victory over the enemy and all his lies through the precious blood of Jesus, through a testimony that affirms and acknowledges and agrees and confesses the life and the finished work of Calvary through the precious work of the Lord Jesus Christ and that our testimony backs that up and how we live out our life even to the point of death, that day in and day out we mortify this old flesh, we crucify the flesh and deny the desires thereof that we can look on the Jesus and follow hard after Him. Amen? Amen. Look, I want you to take your revelation and turn to Matthew chapter number 14. Matthew chapter number 14. I kind of want to continue on with some of the, the way we've been thinking and what we started and talked a bit about last night with Isaac. How Isaac allowed his flesh himself, his intimidation, his fear, this operating in unbelief, limiting God. Here's the most blessed man on the planet with the right promises sent to the right place to be among the right people at the right time, yet he was afraid of what would happen to him, so he began to manipulate the circumstances on the journey. Now, all his past, everywhere he had been before, Isaac's in his 70s at this point in time. God has been faithful to him. He has not failed him, not one time. God never fails, God never gets it wrong, and he will never fail you nor me, amen? And when we fret and we worry, what that is, that's a slap into the face of a God who says He's always on time. You can trust Him with everything in life. And whether He puts you in the circumstance or not, that you may lose your life for His glory, you can overcome the temptation of the flesh and the lie of the enemy through His precious work in your life. And you don't have to depend upon our flesh to manipulate the circumstances. Basically, what Isaac did was say that he knew better than what God knew. That's what it boiled down to. Now, was God gracious with him? Was God compassionate and gentle and merciful? Yes, but God gave him indicator after indicator that he was out of line with him and that he was not operating as if he was under the favor of God because Isaac was not fruitful for a long time while he lived there. He couldn't be who he really was. He couldn't express the covenant that was upon his life. He couldn't express of, of what he was all about and who he loved and who he lived with. He had a secret romance behind the scenes because he feared what man would do to him. You know, there's a lot of people in, the, in communities, in churches, on jobs, fear what the boss may do to them if they shared what Jesus has done for them in life. 
They fear losing a job or fear losing a paycheck or fear losing a friend or a pastor who God burdens him with a message that is dealing with a particular subject, but he knows if he deals with that particular subject, that's going to create some tension in the spirit of some particular people for whatever reason. So he is hesitant and he don't want to lose his position or his job and, and therefore he's afraid to deal with a, with a context or a particular thing because he's afraid of doing that. That's no different than where Isaac was at. He then held back and didn't do what God gave him to do and as a result it had an effect on his daily lifestyle. This man was unfruitful for a long period of time until uh, his laundry was aired out and everybody knew what was going on and he confessed that and agreed and, and told him who he was and who his wife was. It's one thing to, to have a, a behind-the-scenes romance with the Lord and His Word. It's another thing to carry that Word, word into a hostile environment. Amen? Amen? And I want to tell you, Jesus told his disciples that he was sending them out like sheep among wolves. He was sending them out to nations that would hate them, that would persecute them, that would despise them, that would manipulate them. Basically, he said, I'm sending you out among the hostiles. They're not going to treat you the way you want to be treated. They're not going to love you the way you want to be loved. They're not going to bless you the way that I think that and the way that I, I plan on blessing you. He says, but I want you to go into all all the nations and make disciples of all the heathen, of all the hostiles. Isn't that what he said? Amen. Teaching them those things that I taught you, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And he says, lo, I am with you until the end of the world or the end of the age. You see, we want God's presence upon everything we do. And all God's people said. But God's presence to be on us, we got to be going. He is with us. That going or that low is when we go. He's with us in power and strength when we're going for Him. I mean, that's part of the armor that we put on the battle with the enemy. Think about it. He said, shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. As that reconciler who's going into the world carrying the message and the blood of the Lamb to a hostile environment. If my feet are not prepared to go and to carry that message, I've already lost a bit of armor in fighting against the wiles of the enemy. You see, so if I'm not going, I'm not going with power. I'm not living with his presence upon my life, manifested out of my life with favor upon me. And that's exactly where Isaac was. Now the road that he was on, the journey that he was on had not changed. The mission that he had had not changed, but he got his eye off the assignment and he started looking at his peripheral and around him and he took his eyes off God. And when you do that, you can't help but operate in unfaithfulness. You can't help but operate in fear. It was like Stephanie and I was riding up 69 coming from Tuscaloosa on our way up here. We've journeyed up that highway on numerous occasions several years ago. It's been about six years ago, seven years ago, something around there. My oldest daughter and her husband served at Mount Vernon Baptist Church in Curry, Alabama. Just 
outside of Jasper. So we made frequent visits coming up. We would run up through 69 and we came during the summertime. We came during the wintertime. And when you're coming up during the wintertime on 69, all the foliage, all the leaves are off the trees. Now it's a beautiful place when you're riding up. I mean, there's steep ridges that go through there. There's creeks that run alongside of it. I thought I was up in the hills of Tennessee the first time I come through. I said, man, this is a beautiful place. Matter of fact, the, the leaves were changing colors when we was coming through at one point and man it, it was just a beautiful place they got houses out there they got a, a bunch of Bradford pears that run along the driveway and I mean it was just a beautiful drive coming up now though I'm from the flat lands of Louisiana and all these hills and steep ridges that make a man from Louisiana a little nervous Make a wife driving up a little nervous. The first time I drove 69 was in a big, the largest U-Haul you could drive. I drove it up with the, with all their stuff to get them up here. And, and roads doesn't really bother me in the peripheral and seeing all that. I'm kind of exploring, seeing what's out there. But for Stephanie, on the other hand, when we get in these high spots along these bridges or riding over a levee and there's water down there, if I just act like I'm going to get to the side, Man, she goes to holding her breath, goes to holding her nose, she's ready to, she knows she's going in the water. She begins, she begins to freak out on me. But you see, when there's no leaves on the trees, you can see all that. But when we were coming up Thursday, it's nothing but green leaves lying the highway. You can't see the first ridge, can't see the first bottom, can't see any creeks alongside the road. All you have is 69 Highway. It's a little curvy, it's a little hilly. If you're reading something, it'll about make you sick now if you're trying to read while you're going on it because it, it is a windy road, but you don't see all that potential danger on the side. You know the road didn't change. The seasons have changed. The times, per se, have changed. So what once was a fearful thing is no longer a fearful thing because you can't see what creates fear in you because you're focused on other things. And that's how it is with a lot of us in life. The road doesn't change. It's what we're looking at along the road that changes our, pers our perspectives and our uh, perception of things, and then that begins to create a problem in our life when we're taking our eyes off of Jesus. That's and that's exactly what Isaac did. He took his eyes off God. As a result of that, he looked around him. He looked at himself. That was an indicator. I'm looking to me now. And now I'm operating in fear. So I know I'm not, I'm not really in a position that I, I need to be in. I need to, I need to have a, a wake up from the head up and realize that my heart has become wayward or backslidden with God. I don't know if you ever realize this, but a backslidden heart usually can go unnoticed initially. Listen, a backslidden heart, not a backslidden run or a backslidden walk. It's a heart issue that slips. A backslidden heart just kind of slips 
unnoticeable initially. Kind of just ease back to an uh, old way of thinking and dealing with things. People around you may not even recognize your backslidden in heart. Why? You're still going through the same motions. You're still doing what you've always done. You show up to a fellowship. You show up to a Sunday school class. Now, if that's all you do in the kingdom is show up for services and show up for a Sunday school class, but you're not doing anything else for the king, you're not doing a whole lot for the king. And everybody said... I mean, anybody can show up for a service. But if you live in a lifestyle of worship, a lifestyle of evangelism, a lifestyle of discipleship where you praying for people and serving people and witnessing to people and, and seeking to be a blessing to people, there's a difference from just showing up and hearing a message and then going to live that message out every day. I believe in our churches, we can easily settle on a message of the gospel or settle on the message of repentance, but not actually repent. We can come and shout and amen, and I agree with that, but just go right back to everything we've been doing and walking in, but we just heard a message that could really transform my life and how I think and live and operate in everyday life, but I just settled on an amen in a message, but not actually applying that in my daily life. Any of y'all ever guilty of that? It's easy. See, that's how a backslidden heart starts. It just settles on a, a message that I've heard. That's why the scripture says that we need to be swift to hear and slow to speak. We need to give our ear to the Lord, but we're not just to be hearers of the word. We're to be what? Doers, Doers of the word. We are to apply what we hear to the glory of God. Now, you may not have much to apply. I may not have much to apply, but it don't take much when it's in the right person's hands. Amen? Amen? It don't take much. It doesn't take much time. It doesn't take much resources. It doesn't take much if it's in the right person's hand. We have a, a hymn in our church that we love singing. It's kind of a motto of our fellowship of singing uh, the songs, and that is little is much when God is in it. Little is much when God is is in it. We find this in Matthew chapter number 14. Little is much when God is in it. Let me just begin reading in verse number 13. Matthew 14, 13 says, When Jesus heard it, he departed from there by boat to a deserted place by himself. But when the multitudes heard it, they followed him on foot from the cities. And when Jesus went out, he saw a great multitude and he was moved with compassion for them and he healed their sick. Aren't you glad that Jesus is aware of a need when we have a need and that he is moved by those things? Uh, he says in verse 15, when it was evening, his disciples came to him saying, this is a deserted place and the hour is already late. Send the multitudes away that they may go into the villages and buy themselves food. But Jesus said to them, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. 
And they in return said to Jesus, We have here only five loaves and two fish. And he said, Bring those five loaves and two fish, bring them here to me. That's not a whole lot, right? That's little. Verse 19 says, Then Jesus commanded that the multitude sit down on the grass. And then Jesus took the five loaves and the two fish. And looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke and gave the loaves to the disciples. And the disciples then gave to the multitudes. So they all ate that day and they were all filled that day. And that same evening they took up 12 baskets of the fragments that remained from those five loaves and two fish. Now those who were eaten that day were about 5,000 men besides the women and the children. And may God add a blessing to the reading of his word. 5,000 men, not counting the women and children. So how many were there? We don't know how many were there. We know a minimum of 5,000. Could have there been 7,000? Could have there been 10,000, 15,000? That's a great possibility. But all they had was a little. But when that little was placed in the right hands, that little became much in Jesus' hands. Amen? Amen. You say, preacher, I only got a little time. Well, whatever time you have, I encourage you to put it in Jesus' hands. You say, preacher, I only have a little sense. Well, wherever, how much sense you got, do what with it? Put it in Jesus' hands. I want to tell you, if y'all would have known me before I got called into the work of, of, of ministry, I was one of those guys that just was not that studious. I was not a very bright student. I always really, growing up throughout my early days and through my my time uh, as a teenager and on in uh, a little even bit into adulthood, I always thought I was a dummy. I really did. I didn't think I was all that bright. And I'm really not that bright. I just got a bright redeemer. Amen? Amen. He's done a work. He's done a work. And my wife can testify to this. We've been together now for 30 plus years, been married nearly 31 years, but we went to school together. And I I just did not uh, apply myself much in school. And the reason I didn't was because I really didn't think I could learn that well. I mean, if I told y'all what I scored on the ACT, y'all would probably laugh me out of here. I'm telling you. I was an athlete. I played ball. I was good at a couple things. One, I was a decent, fairly decent athlete. Uh, I seemed to always catch the prettiest girl, which was a blessing, and landed her for the longest. Praise God. Amen. Amen. And I knew how to hunt and fish. That, That was really... What I did, my my mom and dad, as us growing up, as Stephanie alluded to, we we were not raised under the word of God, under the teaching of the word of God in the church of God. We were just not raised that way. When I was a small kid, there was neighborhood people around us that that didn't raise their kids in the in the church either. But when they had vacation Bible schools in surrounding areas. Vacation Bible school for many of my people and around us became like a daycare. Are you with me? 
And they would bring, now these churches had a heart to reach these kids just like our neighbor had a heart to reach our kids before we had a heart for our kids to know Jesus. But when I was a small boy, a couple ladies, one in particular would take me and my two brothers and we would go to vacation Bible school. And I want to tell you, if anything had school in it, I didn't like it. That was summertime for me. You have rarely ever found me with shoes on or a shirt on during summertime, much less having to get cleaned up to go to some school during the summer. That was torture for a boy like me. I would much rather be on my bike. I would much rather be in the woods. I had pellet guns and shotguns. I was a bird, cat, and dog killer. I did all the wrong things. I did all the wrong things as a kid. I was a heathen. And I didn't want to go to a vacation Bible school. I mean, they creeped me out when I showed up. It was like I was in a foreign world. When I would go into their classrooms and they had pictures on the wall that I didn't understand or what they were, they made me nervous. They brought us Kool-Aid and crackers and cookies and I thought they were nasty. I didn't like them. I didn't want to be there. I didn't want to go. But when mom and daddy says you got to go, you got to what? You go. Now, I didn't give them no trouble. I never gave my teachers any trouble because I had a daddy that weighed about 320 and 340 pounds that stood over six foot tall, had a belt about that wide, and he didn't mind wearing me out with it. Trust me. So I didn't give people any trouble, but I did not like being there. And I did not enjoy it at Oh, I couldn't wait till it was over with. And that was just year after year after year. Now, as I grew up a little bit and I realized pretty girls like this girl went to church. I put up with church and church services so that I could sit next to her and go with her to church. And I did. I would drive to Madisonville. I told you all I had that 79. Peach Thunderbird. I had that 79 Peach Thunderbird. So on Sundays, I'd get in that Thunderbird and I'd drive 13 miles to Stephanie's and I'd go to church with them at First Baptist Madisonville and I'd sit on the pew and that preacher would preach and Brother David, I know he would come down that, that pulpit after the service and he would stand down here just like you did last night and he would plead with people that if they wanted to come to Jesus, if they wanted to give their life to Christ, if they needed to get their baptism in order, if they wanted to unite with them in fellowship. I mean, he did all that. But you know what? I can't remember any of it. And I only know that he did it because I know who the man was and I know what the man stood for and I know what other people thought. But I was blind. There was a veil over my eyes. I was blinded to that gospel. The enemy had me in his grip. Now I'm thankful Jesus had marked me. Amen. I just didn't know it yet. But I would sit there with her and I would hang out with them. And a lot of times they would go home. I was a real shy kid. I would go, they would go home and eat. And I didn't want to go eat with them because I was shy. I didn't know what to say around her mama and around them with other people. So I would go off and do something else and come back later after they ate. and We went to church that evening. I just was a shy boy that knew a couple things. How to land a pretty girl, how to play a little ball, baseball, football, basketball. I could do that, enjoyed doing that, knew all there was to know to do that, loved doing that. I could shoot a rifle and I could kill a deer. 
I could kill a turkey, but when it came to school, I was just not all into it. It wind up hurting me, quote, unquote, when it came time for me to move off and go do some college ball. But you got to remember, Stephanie and I got married between my junior and senior year of high school. We had a little girl. I started my high school senior year with a little girl. I was playing ball, football, as a, as a dad and as a husband and trying to work and play ball and do all those things. But I just was not that well in school because I really thought I was a dummy. And you know, when God began to do a work and draw me to himself and he saved me, he interrupted my life. Brother David, I mentioned this verse already. Proverbs 16, 3. Jesus said, if you'll commit your works, if you'll commit yourself, if you will entrust your works, your life to me, I will establish your thought process. And I knew if he'll establish my thoughts, he would establish my plans. And I said, I, if there's anybody in the world needs to think differently and to have better thoughts and to be smarter and to be brighter and know you more intimately, it's me. I need to know you, God. And I believed him. I trusted him, brother. And I want to tell you from that point on, God began to, began to unveil himself to me. And he began to show me who he was. He began to show me how he worked. And he began to do these things in my life. I didn't have a whole lot of sense. Stephanie will tell you that. I never read a book in my entire life until I started reading the Bible. I never read a book. I didn't even read magazines. I just looked at the pictures in the magazines. That's who I was, brother. I'm telling you. I had little, little sense. Stephanie says that's why God gave me so much. I had all this room in my brain for him to fill it up with. Are you with me? It wasn't crowded out with anything. So he just had a great palate just to pour whatever he wanted to put in there. Because I didn't have a lot of junk in it. I just didn't have much in it. Are you with me? But buddy, he started feeding me. So when I say, if you only have a, a little sense, you don't have to have a lot. Little as much when God is in it. you don't have to have a lot of money. Just whatever you got. If you don't give it to Jesus, whatever you got is all you're ever going to have. But if you got a little that you give to Jesus, Jesus will do with a little that you can never do or anybody else could ever do with. Amen. Amen. This is what happened. The scriptures teach us that that day these disciples said, hey, you need to do something with all these people. Uh, they, they were being thoughtful on this that, hey, we were out here in a, in, a, in a wasteland. There's no place for them to gather any food. And Jesus was about to do something supernatural in their life. And he said, what do you have? I said, we really don't have anything. I mean, all we got is this, these five loaves of bread and these two fish. What is that going to do? That, that's nothing. Well, Jesus said, give it to me. Scripture says they gave it to him. Jesus then gave a word, and whenever he gives a word, whatever it is, give me something, or you command somebody to do something, there's power in his word. And all God's people said, Amen. what did he do? He commanded them to sit them down in small groups. He took what they gave him. Scripture says he blessed it. Then he broke it. Then he dispersed it or shared it. <coughs> then he multiplied it. Amen. 
Everybody ate to the full and they walked away with leftovers. To God be the glory, amen. amen. 15,000 people ate off five loaves of bread and two fish. I don't know what you have to give to Jesus. But whatever you have, if it's edible, and when I say edible, that simply means it's usable. Give it to him. Amen. Give him whatever is usable. That he may bless that which is edible and usable. So that he can break it for whatever purpose he wants to do with it. And then let him disperse it, share it, and let him multiply it. Whether that be in your home, whether that be with your children, whether that be with your vacation Bible school. Y'all got vacation Bible school coming up, right? Do y'all know that y'all are going to reach some kids that were just like me? They're not really going to want to be here. Mom and Daddy just brought them up here so y'all could watch them for a little while. You understand? Don't take it out on little Johnny. Are you with me? Don't take it out on him. Don't get frustrated with him. Hey, take the seed. Now, see, I still remember those days. I still remember those pictures. I still remember those treats that they, I didn't like them, but I ain't forgot them. Are you with me? What you do, the little that you do, if you give it to Jesus, I guarantee you that family that Stephanie talked about there on the Navy base in Meridian, Mississippi, when they took an interest in our family and began to invite us to gum the things with them and asked if they could take our kids to Awana and asked them if they could take them to a concert, asked if they could take them and bring Stephanie with them to a concert. They were being mission-minded, kingdom-minded people. They had no clue. That was I don't think God gave them a vision of this, honestly. I don't think God gave them some insight on what was going to happen down the road. I don't think, personally, they knew back then that I would be right here tonight in Eldridge Community, in Eldridge Baptist Church, proclaiming a life-transforming message of Jesus. I don't think they foresaw that some 23 years ago, but I want to tell you who saw it. And his name is King Jesus. Amen. Amen. And the little they did has amounted to much in the kingdom. Right. Has amounted to much. You know, Stephanie and I never went to their church. They belonged to 15th Avenue Baptist Church. Eventually, God began to work on both of us. He be began to draw both of us. And Stephanie started, took the initiation and started looking first. And she tried to get me involved and I was working in law enforcement with the military at the time and we worked 12 hour shifts and every other weekend. And I want to tell you, I had a lot of excuses why I, I couldn't go. I was, I was tired. I, I, I work every other weekend and Stephanie finally said, well, we, I'm going to go take these girls and we're going to go find a place. So she went out for several weeks and she visited anywhere from five to seven different churches. She went to 15th Avenue that this family was part of that really invested in us, that began to stir in us, that we started looking at them saying, why are we letting them take our kids to Awana? Why are we letting them take them to church on Sunday? We probably ought to start taking them to church on Sunday, even though we know church is not the answer. Church is not the answer. 
Whether that hurts your feelings or not, Jesus is the answer. Now when you have Jesus, you'll also have a group of people that gather at a place that are called the body of Christ, that but the sheep of God, and we know that everybody that's part of the visible local church actually don't necessarily belong to Jesus. Our aim is that every one of them would belong to Jesus. But we know that church is not the answer. Jesus is the answer. Now church is part of what He's going to do in your life. But just getting them here and to sit on your pews, to sit in your Sunday school classes is not the answer. You got to get them to Jesus. Amen. Amen. You get them to Jesus. You get them to Jesus. Matter of fact, you cannot find, I cannot find, you will not find anywhere in the scriptures where we or, or commanded by God to go as a lost world to go to a church. But God commands His body, His church, to go to a lost world and get that lost world to His Son. Amen? Amen. And then when they get a hold of His Son, you know what they do then? They unite with the brethren. Why? Because God puts truth in them. And when He puts truth in them, you can't help but love the brethren. If you don't love the brethren, you don't have truth in you. And if you don't have truth in you, you don't have Jesus in you. But if you have Jesus in you, not only are you going to love the brethren, but you're going to love the Word of God, and you're going to grow in that Word, and you're going to grow with the people of God, and growing with the people of God is going with the people of God into a world that He sends us out among in everyday life living to be a witness on the job with our neighbors, in our communities, to let them see a group of people who love one another, who love Him, who treasure His message, and who love to see a lost world come to know Him. Amen? Amen. Oh, that makes a radical difference in people's lives. We didn't go to 15th Avenue Baptist Church. The Lord placed us in a church. Stephanie come home one evening. I was on the front gate of NAS Meridian, welcoming traffic on, checking tags, those types of things. She pulls up that morning after that morning service, and she says, Nick, I found a place that I just feel like this is somewhere that you would enjoy going Would you come with me tonight? And I committed to her right there on that gate. When I get off, I'll clean up. We'll go straight there that night. We'll go back that night. Well, sure enough, I got off, made a beat home, cleaned up real quick, changed. We went, and I want to tell you, from that evening there, from that day, God began to do a work in the Holden family. And God began to draw us. And it wasn't but about a month later or less, God interrupted Stephanie. She gave her life to Jesus. Amen. A month after that, God interrupted me and I gave my life to Jesus. And oh, things begin to shift and things begin to change in the holding home. Jesus began to take over our lives. He began to invade us with His grace. We didn't have a whole lot. We still don't have a whole lot, but what we had, we turned it over to Him. What we had in our marriage, we turned it over to Him. What we had in our resources, we turned it over to Him. 
We took our time and started seeking Him in the morning time. Started seeking Him throughout the day. I was in a position where we had several gates on the base. And some people didn't like going to a particular gate because it was real slow and real boring and not a lot happened out there. And it was kind of a, a, a mundane, drudgery type thing to go. And there would be times I'd volunteer. If nobody wants to go, I'll take it. You know what I did? You see this word right here? This thing is chock-a-block full of what I did when I sat on that gate. Every so often a car come through and I'd have to welcome in. But buddy, I, for hours upon hours, six, eight hours a day, I'd just say, somebody come relieve me that I can go to the bathroom and I'll, and I'll come back and get back on it. Why? I was getting to know this king that I gave my life to. And man, I tell you what, I wanted to tell everybody I knew of what he was showing me, what he was doing in my life. I had no idea, though, at that time that he was setting me apart to do what we do right now. Matter of fact, she didn't believe it either when I came to her and I shared with her, I think God might be calling me in the ministry. She laughed at me. She laughed at me. She said, I know who you are. I know the way you think. Remember, our flesh knows way too much about us and way too little about Jesus. She said, Nick, you're just growing as a disciple right now. God's not going to call. You too, you too timid or shy of a person. You don't even like to talk in front of people. You're not going to be doing anything in, in ministry. You know that when you are preaching, you've got to preach to people. Do you know when you're a preacher, you got to pray in front of people? Do you realize all that? That's not who you are. That's not what you do. I said, yeah, but I really believe that he's calling me to a ministry. And he, I don't know what it is. I don't know where it's going to be. I don't know how it's going to be. But I'm willing to do whatever he wants me to do. We started a bus ministry out there on the base where we'd bring a van home with us from Northcrest. And we'd load up kids out at the base and we'd bring them in the church with us. We started working with the junior varsity Awana program in the church. And we just would do whatever they whatever ever needed to be done we just wanted to do it we would help in any way we could if we got in the way we'd just say we're sorry we're here to serve just tell us to get out of the way and we'll do whatever and that's just what we were doing in those days but I knew God had something that he had set me apart for whether it be youth ministry or whether it be preaching or pastoring it really did not matter to me what it was at all I was just willing to do whatever he wanted me to do I didn't have a lot but what I had was his. And what I had, he started blessing it. And what I had, he started breaking it and sharing it and dispersing it. What I had, he started multiplying it. Amen? Amen. And before long, I shared it with my mother-in-law and my father-in-law who were in ministry. And they laughed at me too. They said, we know you, Nick. God ain't called you to ministry. I shared it with my pastor and he was the only one who encouraged me. And he said, brother, this is what I encourage you to do. If you would just surrender that before the congregation, the people that love y'all and stand with you and get behind you, if you just surrender it and get them praying with you, God's going to give you clarity on this. You just keep obeying him, keep walking with him, doing what you're doing. He'll make it clear to you. You surrender. Well, I went for another six months before I surrendered. I just battled with it. And just one service on a Sunday night, 
I just sensed in my spirit that God moved me out of that pew to come down and let the congregation know of what he had done for me. Stephanie had to be prodded on by somebody else in the church to come on down and go stand with him. She's still in days. I can't believe he's doing this. I can't believe this, but he's doing it, so i got to get behind him. And then God, little by little, because that's how God works, little by little in our daily life. That's how he grows us, little by little, day by day. Y'all remember when the children of Israel conquered the promised land? And God told him he wasn't going to run all the people out of the promised land at one time because if he ran them all out at one time, the beast of the fields, the lions and the wolves and all that would get too numerous if he pushed everybody out at one time. So he let them conquer the people little by little until they were able to handle the land. And that's just how God works. Little by little. We grow grace By grace, from glory to glory, little by little. But that growth is progressive. Day by day, step by step, little by little. And he began to do that in our journey, in our life. And it wasn't long after that, God began to open up the door. My pastor came to me and said, Nick, I know you have no church experience. You've never seen how church works. I think the best thing for you would be this. How about if we ordain you as a deacon and let you come in on deacon's meetings so that you can be part of a deacon's meeting, see how I function in that role as a pastor, see how these men operate in that role as a servant deacon in the body of Christ before you go to a church, because I believe God's got a church set aside for you. He's got a work for you to do. I can foresee that. You don't want your first deacon's meeting to be as a brand new pastor. I said, well, I believe you got you wise on this. Let's do it. They ordained me in January of 1999 as a deacon. In October of that same year, they ordained me as a pastor in my first church. So for eight, nine months, I got to serve in that capacity and went right into my first church. And, and, and God just began to do little by little. He took a little. He blessed it. He broke it. And continue to break us to get Jesus out of us. Amen. Amen. And he just steadily over the years has multiplied that. And we just can't help but give him the glory for it. Amen. Amen. So I, I don't know what you have tonight or where you are. But if you have a little, don't have to be much. Now, if you hold on to it, it's going to be just like it always is. Like that bean that we talked about in that first service. A single bean will stay a single bean unless it goes through the process of what? Germination. It's got to get put in the ground. It's got to get in the right soil, in the right place, with the right light, with the right moisture. And that bean is going to sprout a plant. And that plant's got a lot of beans on it. He's going, that's just a, a natural order of the way God works. Well, I give my life to him and let him plant me wherever he wants to plant me. And when he goes through his process, the scripture says, I've got divine power. I've got divine promises, all to take on the divine presence of God so that I can walk in godliness and continue to escape the corruption that is in this world through my natural flesh. And the only way to do that is that is growing in the knowledge and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. How do we do it? Little by little. Little as much. When God is in it. You may be saying right now and here tonight, well, brother, I don't, what I have ain't, ain't, it's not even little. 
It's unusable. Y'all remember when Jesus was with his mama and they went to a wedding? Y'all remember at that wedding what happened? What happened at that wedding? He turned the water into wine at that wedding. Remember they ran out of wine and his mama came to Jesus. Mary came to him and said, said, Jesus, they are out of, they have run out of wine. And Jesus, what was his response? He said, woman, what's that got to do with? That ain't got nothing to do with me. She didn't say another word. You know, mama was going to um, take care of that situation. Know what she did? She didn't, she didn't say anything to Jesus. She turned and looked to those that were serving and said, just do whatever he tells you to do. Just do whatever he tells you to do. So Jesus then tells those servants to go take those water pots that they had set aside. In those days, those water pots were set aside They were not drinkable water. What they were, they were not potable. They were ceremonial washing water. You know, the Jews believed that if you ate without washing your hands, you were unclean in a spiritual way. Not unclean in a physical way, but in a spiritual way. They had set all these rules and regulations up. And one of the things when you had a feast like that, not only did you provide the food and not only did you provide the drink, but you had to provide the ceremonial washing water, not drinkable water, but washable water. You had to provide that as well. So Jesus takes that ceremonial washing water. It would be like bath water. How many of y'all ever drink bath water? Not yet. (laughs) Water to clean with, to wash your hands, to wash your feet with. It was that kind of water, not drinking water. And Jesus said, go get that undrinkable water and bring it to me. And he took the undrinkable water, the undrinkable things, and he turned it into the best wine that those folks had ever drank. So this is the point. You may not have little. Matter of fact, what you have may be undrinkable. All you have is a a past life of debris and sin and messing up and iniquity and transgression. You may have an ugly past that nobody wants to drink from. But if you'll give that to Jesus, if you'll give that to Jesus, He'll take the undrinkable things in your life and turn them into something that can turn out to be a joyous thing. Amen? Amen. That's just what He does. He takes the undrinkable and untouchable things of life and changes them by His grace into something that other people can drink from and be transformed by. What He does. My life was undrinkable, I'm telling you. I can't even tell you all all the things about it. I wouldn't. I'm not going to glory in my shame. But my life was an undrinkable life. It was an untouchable life. It was an ugly life. Self-centered life. Living as a hostile, depraved, blinded individual. But Jesus took that undrinkables of my life and through His grace at the cross of Calvary, transform those undrinkable things into something that 
even you've been able to drink from. This, this is our third time with y'all, amen? amen. <laughs> Scripture says that during the days of grace in Isaiah 12, 3, that during the days of grace, you will draw water out of the wells of salvation, plural, the wells of salvation. If you've been bought by the blood of Jesus, been washed and filled up with His Spirit, God has planted Himself in you. He, the Son and the Father, lives in you by the Holy Spirit of God. There's a well of life that wells up within you that other people get to drop their bucket in and pull life-giving water out of you. As Proverbs 11:25 says, He who waters shall be watered himself. When I belong to Jesus and living for Him, He uses me as a waterer. Somebody that can transfer life to someone else, taking the undrinkable thing things that didn't have anything usable but he took it and he transformed it and he made it into something that can bless other people amen Amen. i pray he'll do that for you or he'll do that for some of your people he'll do that for some of the kids that you're gonna invest in in the coming days some of the families that live in this area right here that y'all been praying for, been laboring over, been visiting with, been seeking to help, and you're not seeing anything out of that, I want to tell you, don't never, don't never depend on them to do something. Don't wait on them to do something. Start looking unto Jesus, waiting on Him, depending on Him to transform their life in His time. And amen. And that what the Apostle Paul said in Galatians says, when it pleased God to reveal His Son, not just to me, but reveal His Son where? In me. In God's timing, God revealed His Son in the Apostle Paul. And He's going to do that with the rest of it. In His timing, He revealed Himself to me. He revealed Himself to Stephanie. In His timing, He did it for you. You just be patient. Continue to labor for Him. Don't get stuck on one person Keep going and doing what He's called you to do and turn that person over to Jesus and let Him be the Redeemer and you just be His messenger. Amen? Amen. And you keep loving on them. Don't get frustrated with them. Don't get ugly with them. You just keep loving on them, keep praying for them, keep living Jesus out before them and let Him take the little, the little or even the undrinkable thing and let Him do something with it. Because I'm telling you, if there's anybody in the world that can change a person's life and change them overnight and then little by little grow them to be a man and woman of God, his name is Jesus. Amen. Amen. I ain't never met an interrupter any better than him. That's what he does. And when he interrupts, he invades our life with his grace. So. Tonight you may be sitting here and you've thought a thousand times, well, I don't have much. I don't have what I used to have. I don't have the strength that I used to have. I don't have the mobility or the stamina that I used to have. Is it tough on you, these VBSs and stuff like that, as you age a little bit? Is it hard? It's worth it. Because we're dealing with eternal matters, right? We're dealing with eternal matters. We're dealing with... Timeless truths you invest in and planting. Some seed is going to grow at different times. 
Somebody else may come along and water that seed. Somebody else may get to enjoy the harvest of that seed. But you as a church at Eldridge Baptist Church wants to always have fruit on your mind. And to have fruit on your mind, you've got to plant seed. And to plant seed, you've got to be diligent. And you've got to be determined. And you've got to be dependent on Him to grow that seed in His timing. You just plant it. The little that you got, put it in His hand. And let Him work with it. Amen. 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 Father, we thank You tonight. We bless You. We ask You to help us with this. Every, every, every one of us in here. Uh, has has something that is undrinkable, untouchable. Every one of us in here has little to give, but if we hold on to it, it will remain undrinkable and untouchable, and it will remain just the way that it is unless we give it to you. And when we give it to you, we just expect you to do whatever you want to do with it. Whether you turn it into something as you did that day when you fed those 5, 10, 15, 20,000 people, that's totally up to you. We're not dealing with the same situation, the same circumstances, but what we are dealing with is the same God who knows what to do with what you got. Who, who is moved and affected by those who are without a shepherd. We know that today, tonight, in this place, we can lay some things on the altar before you and let you take them and do as you see fit. You promise us in your word that you... you meet all our needs in Christ Jesus for every good work. We often find ourselves putting investments in things that is not a good work. You not led us to. And we wonder what happened. But what you lead us to and through, you meet that need every single time. Exceedingly and abundantly. And we can bless you and praise you for that. So that's all we ask in the night, that you would reveal to us what, we want to, what, what you require. We want to hear what you command us to do as you did with your disciples that day. And we just want to follow your lead. And then watch you get all the glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen.